Jazz Podcast with Carmen Spaniola. Introduction to Poetry by Poet Billy Collins. I ask them to take a poem and hold it up to the light like a color slide or press an ear against its hive. I say, drop a mouse into a poem and watch him probe his way out. Or walk inside the poem's room and feel the walls for a light switch. I want them to water ski across the surface of a poem, waving at the author's name on the shore. But all they want to do is to tie the poem to a chair with rope and torture a confession out of it. They begin beating it with a hose to find out what it really means. Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversations with everyday folks about the mystery of life. This podcast is a complement to the Numinous School, an online intuition development course for people who want their self-awareness to serve a greater good. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola, and this week my guest is Lynn Phillips. Lynn is a friend in both the personal sense and the Quaker sense, and I'd also consider her one of my spiritual advisors. We share many things in common, and among them, a love of poetry. I connected with Lynn over the phone. She was at home in Victoria, B.C. So, Lynn, I'm so pleased to have you on the show today because I've heard you quote poetry many times uh, in our Quaker meeting, but also just in conversation. And so it hints at this secret knowing that you and I both have uh, a deep fondness for poetry. And I am really keen to hear why poetry is so important to you. Well... I guess my reaction, um, my immediate reaction was, well, why isn't it so important to everybody? Um, But that's a different question. Um, Yeah, poetry, I think we're born to poetry. Um, As babies, we experience the rhythm of our mother's heartbeat while we're in the womb, and we listen to the music of our mother's speech sounds. And, of course, as infants, we get lullabies and... um, nursery rhymes, and so on. And culturally, in many countries, alas, not so much ours, poetry is still very much in a part of everyday rituals, you know, in terms of prayers and chants and songs, and now I lay me down to sleep, Mm -hmm. kinds of uh, rhymes that are important to people. But why poetry is so much important to me, um, that's a harder question for me to answer, actually, uh, except that I've always been in love with words, uh, and I've always loved to write. So poetry is a natural way of expressing oneself, especially um, uh, when I was young, um, when I didn't have a lot of words to uh, spare uh, or a lot of writing skill. Writing poems was a wonderful way of launching into a world of imagination. Poetry now is profoundly important to me because of the way in which it opens our hearts and our minds and our imaginations to a world that really um, 
in which we live beyond words. What poems or poets do you most often turn to when you're looking for spiritual guidance? I ask that because you and I have talked a a number of times about John O'Donohue, and he's a poet that I uh, turn to so often, particularly his book, To Bless the Space Between Us. And I'm, I'm wondering which poet or poems spiritually uh, enrich your life? Well, I couldn't begin to limit it to one poet. And in fact, um, I have a whole book full of, of uh, my most precious poets that my uh, husband, who is a bookbinder who loves to publish handmade books, uh, made me, which is a collection of my favorite poems that I've uh, always incorporated again and again into my journals over the decades. Uh, yeah, John O'Donoghue is certainly one of my favorite poets. Um, Mary Oliver uh, mm-hmm. would be another poet that ranks very high. Uh, William Stafford is another poet that I love very much. Uh, Hildegard of Bingham uh, mm-hmm. in her translations um, by Matthew Fox. All of these um, are poets who speak directly to the spiritual life. But I also have poems that really speak profoundly to me, which are more indirect. Um, because I think, you know, the the spiritual life, which everyone has, whether they call it that or not, is that sense of... Um, that that we're living, uh, you know, that we live in this narrow space of time, but we know consciously behind us is a history, and before us is a future, and we're surrounded by a complex um, series of memories of life lived, life imagined, and I think it's that sense of richness of a life's possibility that other poets evoke in us. Um, so I'm going to read you a poem. Good, good. Um, this, is a very, this is a very short one um, by Raymond Carver, who's an American poet and most famous for short stories. Um, and it's called Late Fragment. And did you get what you wanted from this life? Even so, I did. And what did you want? To call myself beloved, to feel myself beloved on the earth. Oh, that chokes me up. That's beautiful. Now, that poem, that's a beautiful poem, and it speaks to me, and it's one of the ways in which poems work their magic and miracles in our lives, because um, when I first read this poem, oh, I don't know, years ago, I thought, oh, well, yeah, lucky Raymond Carver, right? You know, it's this, he's this famous author. You know, he's won prizes, and he's been widely published, and when he dies, everybody will be very sad. So, of course, he would feel beloved and so on. You know, I, I, there was a sense of envy and also a sense of, uh, yeah, and okay, you know, I'm this obscure little person, and, you know, no, you know <laughs> I'm not going to have long lines of people at my funeral. And then I read it again, you know. And then I said to myself, wait a minute, what he says is to call myself beloved, to feel myself beloved on the earth. He's not talking about other people, he's talking about himself. He's talking about the way in which we build love for ourselves and how important that is to him. It's what he most wanted out of life. And that's something that, at least in theory, anyone can do. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm so 
thankful for you sharing that. What happened to me as you were reading it and, and the experience of to call myself beloved hit me in the gut <laughs> as, the, as, a, as a, um, a recognition of a truth, a universal truth. I, I could feel it in my body, but the emotion swelled up in me. Do you have any other poems that speak to you emotionally in that same way? I, you mentioned Mary Oliver. When I first heard Wild Geese, I, I think I was a sopping mess at the end because that idea of to, to let the warm animal of your body love what it loves, you know, to give yourself oh, yeah. permission. Oh my gosh, I, I, you know, you do not have to be good. I mean, that, that, that is a poem about permission to me. Uh, what, what other poems strike you at the core like those? Um, well, I, <clears throat> the poems that, that particularly speak to me at this moment um, are the short ones. Uh, so here's a poem by Emily Dickinson, and I actually picked this up in somebody's uh, email who said, this is a poem that was never actually published. Um, so uh, maybe you <clears throat> might be hearing it for the first time. So it's called to, to Make a Prairie. To make a prairie, a clover, and a bee. That's all it takes, one clover and one bee. And reverie. The reverie alone will do if bees are few. <laughs> That's brilliant. I love that. Yeah. Well, I, I, I shout it. I'm, I'm very fond of lyric poems. Um, and, you know, so short lyric poems, I mean, partly because they're easy to memorize, but also just the lyric poem has that quality, just that it, it, it's intentionally reaching into your heart with, you know, one dominant emotion, right? And so Emily Dickinson's poem is, is the evocation of imagination. You know, it's like, oh, maybe we've never been to a prairie, or maybe we will never again visit a prairie, but most of us know about bees, and most of us know about clover. And so the reverie can evoke, we can live in our world of imagination, and, and, uh, and she says, the reverie alone will do, if bees are few. So if you're stuck in your bedroom because you're sick, um, you know, you still can escape. As I have another poem on this same page, as I'm looking at the book that my husband published for me um, by Robert Frost, uh, and again, it has that same evocative quality in that it's just one image and one emotion, uh, but the depths are profound. So Robert Frost's poem, it goes like this. The way a crow shook down on me the dust of snow from a hemlock tree has given my heart a change of mood and saved some part of a day I had rude. <laughs> now, why is that one particularly special to you? Well, I think because, um, you know, there's so much talk now about mindfulness and awareness. Um, and these, of course, are not new ideas. You know, they've been um, philosophers and, and uh, spiritual teachers have talked about them for thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of years. Um, and I think what Robert Frost does, without saying either one of those mouthful of words, um, is to make us aware that we live in a in a world that is full of amazing things. 
it's a, you know particularly the world of nature of course which Robert Frost wrote so wonderfully about but um we can have a mood altering experience we can have a have a mind altering experience uh with one simple thing if we can only pay attention to it you know if we are only willing to be open to the chance that we might be transformed Mm-hmm. You, uh, through you, I also was made aware of uh, How to Read a Poem by Molly Peacock. Oh, And she has a, a line that's so accurate that says, the poet rarely shines too bright a light on a subject. Yes. Why, why do you think it's so compelling and so enjoyable uh, to read poetry when you have to work so hard sometimes to to decipher it. Well, I don't. You know, I mean, there's there's different kinds of poems, right? And and for example, the um, John O'Donohue poem about longing, which I uh, might read if I had time. Um, but it's not it's not an obscure poem, and it's not opaque. It, it's really quite transparent. Um, and yet so elegantly phrased that it's, mm. you know, it is a poem, um, but it doesn't take a lot of labor to actually, you know, find out what the meaning is and also to let that meaning sink into your heart. Um, but I think the way, um, actually you mentioned Molly um, Peacock, and so, well, I just, because I've been rereading her, <clears throat> she says, I found, up gro- I found grown-up poetry to be as spongy as a forest floor. Your foot sinks into the pine needles. The air smells mushroomy and dark, and filtered light swirls around you till you're deep in another state. And then she goes on to say, um, talking about a former teacher, she said, I gleefully entered the woods of interpretation. It was all right to be lost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Could you read John O'Donohue's On Longing? I would love to do that. Longing. Blessed be the longing that brought you here and quickens your soul with wonder. May you have the courage to listen to the voice of desire that disturbs you when you have settled for something safe. May you have the wisdom to enter generously into your own unease, to discover the new direction your longing wants you to take. May you come to accept your longing as divine urgency. May you know the urgency with which God longs for you. find spiritual poetry or or poetry about the spiritual journey to be particularly interesting um i guess one of the reasons why is because well so much of the spiritual experience the spiritual journey is spent sort of stuck and so i tend to turn to poetry so i can at least voyeuristically uh peek in on other people having perhaps more uplifting experiences that I'm having. So for instance, I'll read Rumi and so much of Rumi's poetry sounds like love poetry. And I find that inspiring and can kind of lift me out of a funk sometimes. Do you have uh, poets or poetry that helps you in, in times when you're longing for, you know, a, a, a feeling of the numinous, a feeling of connection with something divine? 
Um, oh, yes, of course. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Rumi because one of the things that's delighted me is um, the popularity of Rumi and Hafiz and some of the other um, ancient Persian poetry. I'm actually surprised nobody has really elevated Hildegard of Bingham because her poetry has much of that same quality as uh, Rumi and Hafiz in the sense, I mean, it's also, she was medieval, but um, that wonderful uh, ability to pick up on the natural world and then to find in it that nugget of of, uh, godliness or spirituality or creation. Do you have any poetry of hers that you could share? Well, okay, Limitless Love. Limitless love from the depths to the stars, flooding all, loving all. It is the royal kiss of peace. Or the marvels of God. The marvels of God are not brought forth from one's self. Rather, it is more like a chord, a sound that is played. The tone does not come out of the chord itself, but rather through the touch of the musician. I am, of course, the lyre and harp of God's kindness. Oh, oh, I am the lyre and harp of God's kindness. Okay, so we are resurrecting Hildegard of Bingen and holding her up and moving forward. She will now be on Pinterest and Facebook quote bubbles everywhere because <laughs> because she should be. Okay, uh, I'd love to hear Mary Oliver's The Word, if you have that handy. I do. Um, and I think, actually, uh, it could as easily be titled The Poem <laughs> as The Word, um, although um, she doesn't specify actually what word. Um, so she says, How wonderful! I speak of the soul and seven people rise from their chairs and leave the room. Seven others lean forward to listen. I speak of the body, the spirit, the mockingbird, the hollyhock, leaves opening in the rain, music, faith, angels seen at dusk. And seven more people leave the room and are seen running down the road. Seven more stay where they are but make murmurous, disruptive sounds. Another seven hang their heads, feigning disinterest, though their hearts are open. Their hope is high that they will hear the word even again. The word is already, for them, the song in the forest. They know already how everything is better, the dark trees less terrible, the ocean less hungry. When it comes forth and looks around with its crisp and lovely eye and begins to sing. Wow. How do you break down that poem? What do you think Mary Oliver is talking about there? Well, I think she's talking about the different ways in which we react to subjects um, or topics that that we don't feel comfortable with. And, um, you know, Poetry is certainly one of them, and I just recently encountered two people, both of them intelligent, well-educated, cultured people who both say they hate poetry. And I, like, how can you hate poetry? Well, I don't understand that. Uh, I, I, and I can only assume that sometime in their school history, um, they had a bad experience with a teacher who tortured them with poetry. 
Um, but, um, yeah, so, you know, certainly there are some people who simply refuse to listen to topics that has, talk about God or love or, or poetry or justice or peace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and uh, you know, they, they just go away, right? But others will stay to listen. Some people will hear it, but they don't want to hear it, and so they set up a static, you know, so this um, murmurous, disruptive sound. So we find ways to um, distract ourselves. I mean, I think our technological age is offering uh, a really marvelous opportunity for us not to think or feel deeply about anything because there's so many ways in which we can turn to our our little screens and our uh, uh, you know our radios and our televisions and our uh, Netflix and so on um so you know that's the way in which we block out we find mental static or emotional static that keeps us safe from things that might um disturb us or uh, threat uh, challenge us to be open to new things Listen, my friend, this road is the heart opening, kissing his feet, resistance broken, tears all night. If we could reach the Lord through immersion in water, I would have asked to be born a fish in this life. If we could reach him through nothing but berries and wild nuts, then surely the saints would have been monkeys when they came from the womb. If we could reach him by munching lettuce and dry leaves, then the goats would surely get to the Holy One before us. If the worship of stone statues could bring us all the way, I would have adored a granite mountain long ago. Mirabai says, the heat of midnight tears will bring you to God. That's a translation by Robert Bly. And I, I, I just love that last line because that is sort of what poetry does to me. And I feel like that's one of the reasons I read poetry is to, is to feel, you know, just to feel. And when I feel, I feel that I'm being reconnected with spirit or my soul or something like that. Yes. Well, that's a lovely poem. Um, and Mirabai is, is a, was a, what? 8th century, 10th century, I mean, she's... Oh, I want to say she was, yeah, yeah, or maybe, yeah, maybe 10th century. Yeah, she quite, quite, you know, I mean, she wrote a long time ago, is what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. Um, And actually, as you started to read, I suddenly, it it turned me on to a poem, and and another poem that I have in my book, um, by a very contemporary poet, um, Jean Lohman, um, who's actually a Quaker. She's a member of um, a meeting in the state of Washington, actually the same Quaker meeting that my sister belongs to. Um, and so as you uh, read it, I, I flipped to my book, and um, so I'd like to read um, this poem, if that's okay. Yes, please do. Yeah. I love It's like we're having dueling poems. <laughs> <laughs> it does sound like it doesn't. Well, uh, it's called. I don't know exactly how this is pronounced because it's um, it's Hebrew, teshuva, um, and in parenthesis she says the turning to God in Hasidic teaching. Mm. If weeping were the thing that could tender us, we would by now be soft and clear. If rage could bring us round, this storm would hold us north and keep us sure. 
With every fresh assault, our futile tears run rivers in familiar groove, but drying salt is hard. Too sharp and strong, the crystals fixed, we do not move. Where only love will serve, the sun in flow, our need is greatest to be kind. One way we have not set our faces, we turn toward light and turning shine. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Break that down for me. I, I love hearing what you think the author, the, the poet is trying to express. Well, I think she's saying, um, that, 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 that sorrow and, and regret and shame and guilt, um, you know, which she, um, metaphorically expresses as weeping um you know i mean these are these are things that we do but she's saying they don't actually help <laughs> they're they're mm-hmm. you know they're they're not the things that heal us and also you know she's saying if anger if anger would be enough right mm-hmm. um that that would do it um but she's saying Crying means that we tend to we we tend to follow the same pattern. Crying and anger both set us more firmly um, in the familiar paths that um, was that Einstein was supposed to have said. You know, insanity is when you tackle the same problems with the same solutions and expect them to work. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's what she's saying. You know, drying salt is hard. It's too sharp and strong. The crystal's mm-hmm. fixed. It doesn't move us. You know, the the neuropsychologists now are are quoting the old uh, statement from a physiologist long ago who said, you know, nerves that fire together wire together. Um, mm-hmm. The more we follow a familiar pattern the more fixed we are that that's the only way to be and Mm -hmm. what she's saying is that actually what works is love is being kind (laughs) i love that actually what works is love we're going (laughs) to tweet that out that's a good one yeah uh so i just quickly flipped to the front of my book mirabai it it seems that she was just at the turn of the 16th century oh so 1498 to 1565 she she was known as a bhakti poet okay so so educated in literature and music um and she would sort of travel around um praising the lord through her music and poetry oh excellent so i want to ask you one last question lynn this is sort of a tradition on the numinous podcast i like to close out with a question from the proust questionnaire that helps us get to know you a little bit more what is your idea of perfect happiness um well i can't say that i would have one fixed idea but i would say that perfect happiness i think would um would feel like serenity would be um a, a sense of of um serene curiosity and openness and awe at the wonder of life and the miracle that um this universe exists at all you know as physicists say the one question science can answer is why why is there a universe why not <laughs> How, you know it, 
that's a question to which probably humans will never find an answer. Um, but the curiosity to know and to at least find out, given that there is a universe, who am I? Where am I going? What is the good life? What is it all about? Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for being on the show, Lynn. I, I have appreciated being able to contemplate the wonder and the miracle with you through poetry today. Thank you for sharing, especially your own poems with us. I really appreciate that. Well, thank you for this opportunity. It's been so much fun, as you say, dueling poets. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I want to leave you with an excerpt from one last poem today. It's another one by John O'Donohue called For the Senses, and this is just the last two stanzas. May your inner eye see through the surfaces and glean the real presence of everything that meets you. May your soul beautify the desire of your eyes that you might glimpse the infinity that hides in the simple sights that seem worn to your usual eyes. I think that reminds me of what poetry does for me. It helps me see the world in different ways and recognize the beauty in the simple things. Today's show notes can be found on my website, carmenspagnola.com, C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A. And there are a lot of links, all of the poems that were mentioned today. I hope you enjoyed our time with Lynn Phillips today, and thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please share it far and wide, because you never know who needs to hear it right now. And if you'd like to keep exploring the great mystery of life with me, you can go to my website, carmenspaniola.com, and click the link for The Numinous School, my online intuition development course. And while you're there, sign up for my monthly email newsletter. You'll instantly receive a meditation download, and you'll get something free from me every month. Until next time, take care.